Welcome, Christian Israel, Pastor Eli James here. This is Eurofolk Radio. Today is February 28th, the last day of February in the year 2021. And boy, uh, has it been a dark winter so far with uh, the COVID nonsense darkening a, a, a huge dark cloud over our minds and over our countries, over the economy, etc., etc., this really has been a dark winter. I guess Dr. Fauci is a prophet. He predicted we would have a dark winter. All right, how are you doing, Michael? Oh, I'm doing very good, Eli. Though the insanity that you are describing right now that goes on in the world, and, and it's, as you said also, well, that Fauci creature from the yeah. Black Lagoon. There you I go. Guess he, yeah. <laughs> I guess he, he is like, know what they plan to do. He tried to be a, his... Um, uh, to being a prophet of his own, I don't know. Yeah. They know their plans. That's their plan. Yeah. Well, he's I got guess. yeah he's got the typical Jewish snake face, right? I wouldn't be surprised if he had a forked tongue, <laughs> hissing yeah. when he speaks. Okay, this is how this is how crazy the you know people are so trusting of liars, and and we have an empire of lies that's just really incredible okay so i was just going to tell people you know, we're going to today's show is going to be about the seven churches of uh, the book of revelation and uh, we have done the subject before but uh, i think as we get closer to the judgment day the reality of these prophecies is becoming more and more evident and uh, you know, we'll, we'll uh, you know, be doing a thorough study of just those seven churches especially with focus on the very last church, the Church of Laodicea, the church that causes uh, our Lord and Savior Yeshua Messiah to vomit. <laughs> and uh, right, because uh, the teachings of these uh, of these latter days from the Judeo-Christian world are so nauseating that anybody who has any real appreciation of the Bible cannot possibly uh, abide the garbage. And to that. Uh, extent let me uh, uh quickly just talk about the um uh, uh the story that uh, swamp fox sent to me here real quick and uh, before we start on uh, the subject that we had planned for the show uh christian nationalism and of course christian identity is the leading force for white christian nationalism uh is being blamed for the uh, role for the so-called rebellion on January 6th in Washington, D.C. Uh, it was only a matter of time before they blamed us, right? Okay. <laughs> but they can't blame you, Michael, because you're in Sweden. <laughs> well, um, no, wait a minute. You have friends in America who could be considered Christian nationalists, right? Yeah. And what I think about, all, I don't know, I saw that now. They they had this, I don't know, numbers, maybe it's not that important, but it is the 6th of January, their favorite number. Right, no, 6, there you go. Yeah, they love the number 6. And uh, yeah, and that was a, I believe that was a Tuesday. You know, why they picked the middle of the week rather than weekend, because usually big demonstrations are, are done on weekends. But, uh, but I, I, it makes a lot of sense now that I think of it. Because they wanted the Congress critters to be in the building. 
so they, they could pretend to be terrified and hide behind their desks and, and under their tables and things like that, right? Just, just for maximum uh, Hollywood effect, okay? The, the, the Congress critters had to be there. And, uh, of course, we know our analysis of it, and I've had talked to people who were actually there, that the, the whole thing was staged by the left to blame the right. And here we are. Here's more blame being thrown at us. Okay. Evangelical leaders' statement. Now, who are these evangelical leaders? Are they basically hirings of the international Jew? No doubt. That's what they are. Condemning Christian nationalism's role in the January 6th insurrection. We're having a sale on barf bags, folks. <laughs> I have to grab one real quick. As leaders in the broad evangelical community, we recognize and condemn the role Christian nationalism played in the violent, racist, anti-American insurrection. What about Antifa? And all the insurrectory stuff they're doing constantly in Seattle, Portland, and burning cities down. uh, We haven't done anything like that. Okay. Anyway, anti-American, anti-American, yeah, like they represent America. At the United States Capitol on January 6th. While we come from varied backgrounds and political stances, we stand, yeah, no, they're all liberal leftists. We stand together against the perversion of the Christian faith, as the Bible presents it. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, all you Judeo-Christians. We teach the Bible as it is stated. We don't make things up. So, as we saw on January 6, 2021. We also stand against the theology and the conditions that led to the insurrection. So, white people have no uh, right to defend ourselves, and white Christians have no right to defend our theology, even though we can quote directly from the Bible to prove our point. Anyway, our faith will not allow us to remain silent. Yeah, your devotion to Mystery Babylon (laughs) will not allow them to remain silent at such a time as this. We are also aware that our world needs more than a statement right now. We need action. So what do you presume to do? Are you going to round us up into a a Christian identity detention center? Uh, a, A death camp? Is that what you're going to do? Or are you going to force vaccinate us? We will do our best to be faithful to Jesus and to those Christ called the least of these. Well, we are the least. There's no doubt that we in identity are the minority of the Christian world. The Christian world has bowed down to mammon. Absolutely 100 bowed down to mammon. And we are the only ones who are teaching the truth. And uh, we could even say we're the only ones who believe in the morality of Scripture. Because these people believe in transgenderism and homosexuality, uh, have no problem with usury. I mean, I mean, if we go down the list, a checklist of what we in identity believe versus what they believe, it would become obvious that they're all a part of the Laodicean rebellion. So they're the rebels, not us. Over to you, Michael, for comment. I mean, that's enough of this. This is such garbage, I can't believe it. Back to you. Yes, you some as you have said, this is hogwash to just read. This is so, it's very uh, Orwellian written. Also, that they say this is so 
the first in the first ingression when they say played violent racist anti-american insurrection all this is the opposite what they are that's exactly what they are doing towards you in america what those evangelical leaders do because they are representing the zionist jewish state that's why they write it in this manner i believe otherwise sure. they would not write it like this because that's their master that they are obeying and then they're using some some Herelius quote to say Jesus said this and you um, but they take them out of context to be and to say that it's un unchrist like behavior okay so you you like uh, you are protecting the devil well i don't know if that is un i think that is unchrist to do that to protect the devil yeah 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 so uh so uh, consequently i mean uh this really fits the subject matter of our show today because the the, the true rebellion, and of course it involves Second Thessalonians chapter two, where Paul predicted that just before the second coming, there would be a great falling away from the true faith by none other than Israel. Well, that's what we're seeing. That's who these people are. These are people, uh, uh, maybe not all of them, but most of them are probably whites who have bought into the, the quote-unquote diversity <laughs> rhetoric, which the Bible does not preach at all, and uh, are, are spewing this vomit. Spewing this vomit. And we'll get to that because Yahshua himself says, you people make me vomit. All right? So we have a special going on barf bags. <laughs> send your money to ANP, and we'll send you a bag of what you're going to need them, folks. Because the lies and the deceit and the oh the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy in the world today are going to get even worse. I'm predicting it's going to get even worse. Okay, so uh, let me see if I put the link to the article. I'll do it again, just so just in case I forgot to do it. Okay, uh, that's the wrong article. Uh, so uh, I'll find the. Um, uh, we're going to be reading from the uh, Revelation Unfolded, Part 1. And so, uh, Michael, why don't you just pick it up I'll, while I put the link in the chat room? Yeah, and just to get, because before we start up with that, I, ha I don't know if we can, I had sent three questions to you. Oh, okay. Um, that I, I don't know if we can look to them now. Or, sure, or a bit later. sure. Yeah, yeah. They're probably relevant. Uh, I think one has uh, regarding the... Uh, uh, Church of Smyrna. Yeah, that was one of them that is okay. there. But I do. I can. I can read the first one. Okay. Um, we know that the Bible is, is divided up in different books. There are prophetical, historical, and so on. And then, is there any weights uh, to the different books when you, when we teach the Bible? Okay. That some books are more more weighted than other. Like th that's a, a prophetic book. That's more weight than the historical one. I don't. You know this kind of right. rhetoric. Yeah, well, I suppose certain denominations will want to give more credence to, uh, you know, well, let's say the New Testament, because we have New Testament Christians who utterly reject the Old Testament and the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, okay? They utterly reject it. So, yeah, you have, again, this is part of the modern apostasy that, as we talked about last week uh, with uh, the, the craziness of Marcion, 
what Marcion did was he, he picked and chose the verses of the Bible. Of course, the New Testament was just being formulated, so he didn't really have much of the New Testament. He had the uh, writings of Paul primarily. But uh, he went to the Old Testament and said, oh, I like, I'll, I'll keep this verse. I don't like that verse. I'm going to throw it out. And uh, he just went through the Bible, picking and choosing which verses he liked and which he didn't. And that's what you have today is modern Judeo-Christianity. So uh, in answer to your question, no, I don't give any greater weight to the historical books versus the moral teachings versus the prophecies. All of these teachings are vastly important and must be understood. And, of course, you really can't understand the prophecies unless you know the history, unless you know the, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that the Bible is a book about tracing the lineage of the Adamic people. Okay, it's a seed line book. And if you don't have that in view, that his history in view, you will never understand, you know, the, the, the true uh, covenant relationship between Yahweh and the descendants of Adam through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then you will never understand the prophecies, especially if you falsely believe that uh, the Jews are Israel. You'll never understand the Bible if you believe that. Over to you. Yeah, I mean, that that's the point. That's uh, there. You describe it pretty good. But you said that you, if you don't understand the his, historical aspect of the Bible and and the histories of everything, then you cannot understand the pro- prophetic the prof- prophecies in it. So it is kind of natural how you how how we do that. To we need the history to understand the prophetic and all all that. So that's natural, I would say. So this, I guess, is also I don't know if it's, this is a kind of. Um, a trick from the Judeo Christians try to say that I am so much more wiser than you, I know so much more than you, so you can't do that, you can't do that because, yeah, they also pick and choose their verses to to um, build up their universalistic view of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. yeah, so uh, we in identity, which should be true of all Christians, we believe in the whole Bible, <laughs> right? And uh, we don't leave any books out. And, uh, you know, even if there are apparent contradictions or seeming contradictions, uh, by doing word studies, you find out that these all these contradictions can be resolved. So, uh, yeah, the book of Acts, for sure, belongs there, but belongs in the New Testament without any doubt whatsoever. Yeah, Yeah, that's interesting you come to the book of Acts, because that is also a statement I have heard from, from this same pastor when he said, that, well, you cannot base the book of Acts on your teachings, because that's not based on the, that is not part of the New Testament. Have you heard something like that before? That what's not, no, that the that book of Acts is not part of the New Testament? Yeah, that's uh. exactly what he said. You can't base your teaching upon it. <laughs> uh, no, well... I can't say I've heard that particular statement. However, there's a lot of so-called Bible commentators out there who question the historicity of the various uh, New Testament books. For example, the, the Gospel of Luke has been challenged by various... In fact, well, of course, uh, Acts was written by Luke as well. The uh, Gospel of the historicity and historical statements made by Luke in his Gospel have been challenged by all kinds of theologians and secular academics, and they've all been proven wrong. The, Luke has a very faithful record of the statements he makes and uh, where they claim that he, he got this uh, 
Roman leader wrong or that Roman leader wrong, etc., etc. By careful examination, they find out that he was actually right. That uh, sometimes you have uh, uh, the the main leader of uh, uh, the Roman uh, you know, uh, legation in Judea taking a break or going on a trip, and and his replacement was ruling at the time. And Luke names the replacement, okay, very accurately. Or or sometimes he'll name the guy who was the official, and he wasn't aware that there was a replacement for that official. So you can't you can't blame Luke for things like that, okay? So folks, this uh, the historicity of the Bible has been proven over and over again. Uh, there there aren't any books that need to be deleted, all right? And they all tell. The Book of Acts is so full of the you know, accounts of, you know, of course, uh, the uh, resurrection of the Christ and his interaction with the Israelites and uh, interaction between Paul and uh, and uh, other the other apostles is absolutely crucial. Absolutely crucial. I, I can't see the Bible without the book of Acts. Over to you. No, thank you. That's, uh, that's kind of what I also, because um, I guess both... Um, Paul's book is also has also been uh, to so, so much misunderstanding from the Judeo Christians. They believe they say that the law is done away with. You only need to believe, and then you're saved. They, but now he, he's not really said that before. He get, I guess, he gets misunderstood. I don't know how to to place yeah. it either. Uh, why they say something like that? Yeah. Well, again, it's the uh, fact that we have theologians who pick and choose what they want to believe, pick and choose verses that uh, they accept and reject. And that, that that's not theology. That, that is, you know, it's faux, it's fake theology. But that's what we're dealing with. Uh, that, the Judeo churches en masse practice various forms of this picking and choosing versus they like and, and don't like. So we in identity do not do that. If we have a problem with a particular verse, we will talk it over amongst ourselves. We will do the word studies. We will uh, look at the history surrounding the verse and find out what the verse really means and resolve the problem. Okay? That's the way we do it. And uh, that's, that's the way you should do re- research, <laughs> journalism, right? Science. That's the way you should do all those things. But no, most of these people have agendas, uh, just like the statement we read from the so-called uh, Judeo-Christian ministers. They have an agenda, all right? And uh, it's, it's hard to find people outside of identity that don't have an, an anti-biblical agenda of some sort or another. Okay, over to you, Michael. Yeah, yeah, that's also very, very important to know this agenda that they have. And also, could just be purely economical. They have um, a multicultural, um, what to say, gathering, and then they're getting a lot of money from them. They say, oh, well, if I would do this, right. I would lose two-thirds of my of my congregation or even more. Yeah, right. Butts in the pews means shekels in the basket, right? <laughs> that's yeah, a verse yeah. in the Bible somewhere, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, and the last question I have, that is regarding to, a matter of fact, uh, part of chapter 23 in Luke. I would like to get um, um, the CI view upon this this part of those verses. It is um, 23, 20, 39 until 43. That is okay. when Jesus Christ is hanging uh, beside this malefactor um, that he hangs beside. 
and that could seem sounds like that uh, what this one does that he oh. is confessing his sins and then and then he will be like and uh, acknowledging Jesus Christ and by that way he is saved okay so Luke 23 what what are the verses again uh, 23 uh, 39 to to 43 or just that particular yeah, verse 43. Okay. So, oh, oh, to 43. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let me back up to, um, let's see. Okay. Uh, let me back up to verse 36 where the soldier, yeah. he's on the, he's on the cross or, and, or stake, however you want to interpret that. And uh, the soldiers also mocked him coming to him, offering him vinegar and saying, if thou be the king of the Judeans, the word here is Judeos, save thyself. And it's absolutely crucial to understand that Judeos is a territorial term. It does not refer to the tribe of Judah or Benjamin or any other Israelite tribe. There were Israelites living in Judea and there were Edomites living in Judea. And so this word Judeos encompasses who, anybody who lived in that territory, irregardless of their racial background. So that this is not the same as Judah. Okay, so verse 38. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. And it says this. This is the king of the Jews. Again, we have Eudeos. So the statement, the inscription, put there by Pontius Pilate. And uh, elsewhere, I don't know if it's in, um, in Luke, but we we're told that this statement uh, written by Pilate was also a mocking statement. Because not, just, not to mock Yahshua Messiah necessarily, but to mock the entire political situation of Judea at that time, because Pilate did not like the Pharisees. He hated the Pharisees. He knew that they were big troublemakers, and uh, he actually washed his hands clean of the you know, execution of Christ and actually declared him innocent. Okay? So, yeah. Okay, and, so, yeah, go ahead. And didn't also the the modern, the, what do you say, those present-time Jews said, that, take that down. They didn't want to see that sign above his head. Right, the Pharisees did not want that sign there, okay? Well, but of course, they were Judeans, <laughs> right? And so they, uh, they suspected Pilate was mocking them, which he was, okay? Verse 39, and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Of course, they had no understanding of the fact that he had to die for the sins of Israel. That's what the Gospel of Luke is all about from beginning to end. It talks about why Yahshua came for Israel. Not for the Gentiles, not for the Jews, but for Israel as part of the covenant message that the Bible is. That's what the Bible is. It, it's the historical relationship between Yahweh and his covenant people, the seed line coming through Adam and Eve through Seth, okay, which is recorded in the New Testament. It's recorded in the book of Luke, that entire seed line, okay? So 
so here again, they are mocking him, but of course, they don't realize that unless he dies for Israel, the forgiveness promised uh, through the Passover ritual could not be accomplished. Okay? Uh, So, a question to you. Did any of this apply to non-Israelites? No, not non-Israelites. This is for the Israelites alone, the house of Judah and the house of Israel. Amen. And certainly not for... Uh, we don't know if uh, Barabbas and others were of uh, mixed blood or even outsiders, because so, Jerusalem was a big city. You probably had robbers and thieves and cutthroats coming from all over the place into the city to ply their trade. And so one of these guys wound up you know, be on the stake next to Jesus. Okay, Verse 40. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? So so there was a, it's very interesting that on both sides of Yahshua Messiah, you have these two, you know, one being a God-fearing man, the other being a mocker, all right? Verse 41, And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. Very good. Okay. Uh, verse 42. And he said to, unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. I think we can all say that. <laughs> Please remember me. I've been a good boy. Verse 43. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Your comment at this point, I think, uh, you know, the, um, the, the fact that sign was put up there by Pilate, mocking the entire situation, is, uh, you know, and he was not king of the Judeans. That's the point I almost forgot. He was not king of the Judeans. He is king of Israel. Huge difference. Over to you, Michael. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the very important. I'll stick with you here that this, this for Jews, you have it when you look that word up in the in the concordance you will see it is i do i know i check it up it is yeah. not you that is not the word in there so you have to do the studies of the word that that is not correct that one yeah. and then uh, because now to the what the heart of this this question is then because now when we read this about this one of those uh, malefactors here one right. of them marks them the other one is revealing him as saying you are the christ and um, and but you have done nothing. Why do you hang here? Because he he noticed yeah. his sin. That's why he was hanging there. And then it sounds like in the last verse that Jesus is like saying, well, that he will be in paradise. That he is like his sins is forgot, forgiven, and he will be in paradise. So by that way, he is what is yes. they use the word saved. I don't know. Because that is what Judeo Christians then would say. That, oh, say you can only confess your sin and con- and to uh, and to notify. What do yeah. say to confess his name and you are saved? Right. Well, I mean, uh, of course, there's way more to it because you have to obey the laws and have the faith of Yahshua Messiah. Revelation twelve seventeen, one of the most important verses in all of Scripture. But um, th- this is a verse of some contention. Because it depends on how you translate it. Uh, let me uh, let me try to say it to the two different ways. So uh, Yahshua is saying to this this good person, "Verily I say unto thee today, comma, 
Thou shalt be with me in paradise. So depending on where you put the comma, uh, so if, uh, where you, if you put the comma after the word today, I am telling you this minute today that you will be in paradise with me. Okay? But if you put the comma before the word today, verily I say to, unto thee, comma, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Well, if you translate it that way, it means, well, this very day, you and I together will be in paradise. Okay? Now, it could be true either way. Right? But uh, depending on where you put the comma, the meaning of the verse is different. So you can see that translating these these texts, which never which had no punctuation in either the original Greek or Hebrew, there are points of contention where well, what is he really saying? Is he going to be uh, with uh, Yahshua in paradise right after they both die on this day? Well, uh, I don't think so. Why? Because Paul talks about the Israelites who have died who are asleep, who will not be in paradise with Yahshua until after the judgment day. Okay? Uh, That, I think, is a verse that applies from the writings of Paul. Okay? Over to you, Michael. Yeah, I did have a look in the the Institute for Scripture Research in that translation, and this sounds like this then. And Yahshua said to him, Truly, comma, I say to you today, comma, you shall be with me in paradise. Okay, so it leaves open when he will be in paradise. Very good. That's a real, I, I like that translation. Okay, and we, we can't blame the King James translators. I mean, this is a lot of translating to do, right? And uh, they would gloss over verses that we, uh, we in identity, uh, you know, have done entire shows about particular verses, right? They didn't have the kind of time to do that kind of thing, okay? So, uh, the Greek word is paradisos, uh, a park that is specifically an Eden, place of future happiness, paradise. And, of course, we know by this he means the kingdom. You will eventually be with me in the kingdom, but not necessarily today, (laughs) right? Okay? All right. Okay, uh, yeah, so these are very interesting verses that uh, anybody who listens to our shows in Christian Identity must uh, realize how dedicated we are to getting these scriptures right, okay? We obsess over these scriptures to get them right, and you know, we, don't, we don't believe in dogma. You know, if somebody comes along and says, well... Uh, Eli, you got this wrong. You might want to consider this way of translating it. And I said, okay, let's talk about it. What have you got? Okay. We're always open to suggestions like that because it's a big book, <laughs> right? Uh, we don't know everything and we overlook things. That's why we keep on going over and over uh, these scriptures to get them right. Okay, back to you, Michael. Yeah, yeah, thank you. That's a very scholarly work. I think I believe that we are probably not to not to be not to boast or something like that, but we are probably among the only one that does this that really do check the word and also check in the concordance what the word means. Right. Um, I think that is crucial to understand the Bible. So you don't uh, also this very common con- uh, mistake is to say that 
uh, yeah, that David and Solomon were Jews. Uh, no, they were not, absolutely not. And by that way, they also then say that uh, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, was a Jew. No, he was not. To saying that he is a Jew, that he would be of the same kind of people that murdered him, I think that would make him very angry. Yes, yes. So, uh, again, this is why we in identity strive to get things right. But the Judeo churches, the Church of Laodicea, are the people who have decided in their own minds that uh, th this is the way we want the Bible to read, which is called eisegesis, uh, meaning a, a scholarship that interprets scripture in favor of a particular dogma, as opposed to exegesis, where you allow the words to speak for themselves without imposing your own beliefs on the, on the verses, okay? And uh, we, we can see that the churches today are full of eisegesis and have very little exegesis to offer. Back to you. Yeah, yeah, that's the, unfortunately, that's, that's yes. um, how it is. Yeah, so maybe this gives some, some uh, I guess this gives some lights on this verse that it is not just to confess your sin and confess then Yeshua to be the Messiah, that you will be in, like saved by that. You, it's a lot more you need to do because by that also, I guess it's also this um, this exclusiveness of being of Israel because uh, we did not choose him. He chooses us. Mm -hmm. And, and right. no one will be... And I guess also no one will be drawn to him unless the Father calls him. He is the one that knocks on the door. And then we need to answer, of course. Yeah. So those, uh, those uh, fake Christians can say what they want about us. The, their view of Scripture and their level of scholarship doesn't even come close to what, not even close to what we do. All right, so let, let's get into the real subject of the Bible and the Apocalypse. Okay. Yes. So now we have this. I have this article in front of me, and it's let's start up then with point number one. Yeah. Now this is the heading, the real subject of the Bible and the apocalypse. I believe it's page four of the link that we posted, and th and thanks for uh, 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 for people in the chat room of posting the correct link. And so uh, there's a lot of preliminary material, but we're going to skip down to the heading that says the real subject of the Bible and of the apocalypse. Over to you, Michael. Yes, everything is about this. Everything is about this. Even what someone tried to tell you, this is what the heart of the matter is. This is what we should never forget, what the book of what our, our beings here is about. Nothing mm -hmm. else matters. That's right. Nothing else matters. It really doesn't. Yeah. Um, the Bible is the book of Adam and his descendants. Quote, this is the book of the generations, offspring, descendants of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. In the day when they were created. Okay. End quote. Yeah, so he blessed uh, the Adamites, unless you look, actually look up the word Adam, 
And right in Strong's Concordance, it says to show blood in the face. Okay, we're not talking about other races. We're only talking about Adam and Eve who showed blood in the face and their direct descendants, their, i.e., bloodline. That's what the Bible is about. And, of course, tangentially, it's about the evil bloodline coming through Cain as well. And, of course, the churches ignore that subject, too. Okay? But uh, let me just say real quickly, uh, I've gotten a couple of emails from listeners saying that Michael does not pronounce the word descendants correctly. Uh, They say that when Michael pronounces, it sounds like dissidents. You know, D-I-S-S-I-D-E-N. We are dissidents from the mainstream, but we're talking about descendants, okay? So, uh, from your Swedish pronunciation, uh, it, it tends to sound like dissidents to a lot of people. So, if you can get that pronunciation right, that would be awesome, because I'm sure other people might be confused. Okay, back to you. I work on my pronunciations then with... Uh... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's descendants uh, from the word descent. Yeah, from the word descent. Yeah, okay. All right, back to you. Descendant. Good. This is an awesome English lessons for me. We heard that. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I will think about that. Um, uh, It is not a book about the Jews who are not Adamites. The Jews are Canaanites and Edomites, i.e., are descendants through Cain and Edom. The family tree of Cain is given in Genesis chapter 4, 17 until 22. Adam is not listed as there as his father. Right. Okay. okay. So that's very critical that Adam is not listed as Cain's father. So who is his father? Okay. But that's a question for another day. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, number two then. The covenants were made um, specifically to Abraham and to Jacob Israel, not to Cain or Edom, and certainly not to all peoples of the world. Exactly, that's also a crucial point here. Yep. Um, and And those covenants do not incorporate the so called Gentiles. And so, therefore, no, there's no universalism of the covenants. They are never, they are never, how should I, offered to the other races of the world. Never. That's a confusion created by the usage of the word Gentile, especially in the New Testament. And that word Gentile does not belong in the Bible ever. Okay, and that's but that's how they trick us by false, false translations and false definitions. Back to you. Yes, um, Yahweh clearly tells us that we, true Israel, are his special people, and he repeatedly commands us remain separate from all other peoples if we wish to inherit his blessings. Then we have here some from Deuteronomy 7 1 until 8. 14, number 2, 28, 9 until 10, and Second Chronicles 6. No, uh, Corinthians, that's Corinthians. Corinthians, ah, Corinthians. Um, and then 14 until 17. Yes. The 12 tribes, tribes broke up in two houses, 
the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The ten tribed house of Israel was deported by the Assyrians during the years of 74, uh, 745 until 715 BC. And this is also when we read in, in Acts, is it also say that those that are the dispersed one, here are the dispersed one, here they right. are. That's right. The one that's taken away. Mm-hmm. Yes. To an area. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And that's the dispute that Peter and Paul had that uh, Peter did not want to recognize the Israelites of the dispersion who had come to Jerusalem for Pentecost. Why? Because, well, they hadn't practiced uh, the, the ritual laws in, in now 700 years. So, and he didn't want to recognize their status as Israelites. And, and Paul had to explain to him, hey, you know, all Israelites were prophesied to be forgiven at the last Passover, not just the Judahites, okay? That's crucial information in the book of Acts. Back to you. Yeah, yeah. Fully agree. that, uh, And also, I guess Paul is also referring to the Romans as that broken off branch. That's right. To be the line of uh, Sarah. Uh, Sarah Judah. Sarah Judah, absolutely. Yes. Okay, uh, to an area just south of the Caucasus Mountain, a range in the nation then known as Media. Because of their migration uh, through the Caucasus range, these Israelites became known as Caucasian. This date, 745 BC, marks the true and only dispersion of the house of Israel. The book of James is addressed to these same people, and Jesus himself tells his apostle to, quote, go unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel, end quote. The house of Judah was not, quote, lost, because That's he right. brought his message to them in Judea. Okay, let me just clarify here, because there might be some misunderstanding. Uh, this date, 745 B.C., marks the true and only dispersion of the house of Israel. That's talking about the ten tribes only, because, uh, you know, the... the House of Jacob, which includes all 12 tribes, had various dispersions. You know, the house of Judah went to Babylon. And then, of course, the, the 12 tribes from uh, Judea dispersed all over the world. <laughs> okay. And, of course, uh, some of the Israelites uh, of the 10 northern tribes, known as the Cimmerians, uh, dispersed to the west by land and by sea. And they became known pretty much as the uh, Welsh people, who still refer to themselves as the Kumru. But House of Amri is where that term comes. Cimmerian comes from the House of Amri. He was the king of the ten northern tribes when the Assyrians took over the territory. However, a lot of these Israelites uh, left left the Middle East because they realized the Assyrians were coming. They got in their ships and they went to Britain, Ireland, and the western coast of Europe. These are the people known by historians as Cimmerians. But they're Israelites of the House of Omri. Back to you. 
Yeah, and that's one of the mark we look for also when how we can uh, identify the house of Israel to being yeah to being the house of Israel when they're referring to one of those kings, Omri. Right. Of course, I guess that was what the Assyrians called them when they captured them. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, the house of Omri, they pronounced it Gomri. They put like a K in front of it. And that's where the Cimmerian, or some people pronounce it Cimmerian, uh, that's where the K comes from because uh, the, the, the Assyrians pronounced it Gomri instead of Omri. Okay. So back to you. Yeah. Okay. Number three then. The marks of Israel prove that only, uh, here it is, descendants there you go. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> of these two houses are the children of, of Bible prophecy. These prophetics have been fulfilled only by the Anglo-Saxon, Celtic and Caucasian people and no one else. That is crucial. That is so important. And to be honest with you, you have to be blind as a bat if you don't <laughs> see this when you study history. Right. Yep. It is clear as day. It's as clear as the nose on you in front of you. But I don't know how people miss it. Yeah, right. Well, they don't have sonar either. <laughs> Bats fly around by sonar. And uh, th these uh, theologians and uh, Judeo-Christians don't have either. They don't, they don't have the eyes to see, ears to hear, nor do they have sonar. So they are totally lost. They're the ones yeah. who are lost. Yeah, back to you. Oh, yeah. Um, the prof pro prophecies fulfilled by the Jews are those made of Esau. Amen to that. And so here you have an, an, an reference to an article. I don't know that that is reference is, is working still. Right. No, it's probably not. Uh, uh, ho hopefully this summer I will have plenty of time to rebuild the Anglo-SaxonIsrael.com website. Okay, and get and then all of these links will have to be changed because uh, it's a it's a completely new website now. Back to you. Yeah. Okay, number four. Um, this is distinction between Jews and Israelites. A. Israelites are, by definition, pure-blooded descendants of the twelve tribe. That is from Deuteronomy twenty-three two. Yeah. No mamzer shall enter the congregation of Yahweh. Is what that statement says. Yeah. Okay. Back yeah. to you. Hear you. And that can't be grafted in. Right, they can't be grafted in, correct. And Jews are mixed race ethnic group. Yeah, and we have talked about who they are to be the Sephardic and also the Ashkenazki right. uh, descendants. Uh, de descendants. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, B, the Israelite practiced the law of Moses. The Jews have always practiced the Talmud. Right. Yeah. Amen yeah. to that. Yeah. That is Amen. Also, Amen. Yeah. yeah. And that is also so clear when you when you look and comparing who is doing money lending. Right. All the stuff they are doing is always in opposition of God's law, of Yahweh's law. Always. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any exceptions. Uh, maybe. Maybe uh, they don't eat pork. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, but I know they, they violate that too. 
I know yeah. they violate they that too. Okay, back yeah. to you. Yeah. Maybe they don't eat fish, but they eat pork. <laughs> you know that. Right. Right. Cheeseburgers. Okay. And by the way, that's a law that they've made on their own, that you, you can't eat cheese and beef at the same time. There's no law that says that. that that's something they made up. There's not a biblical law that says that. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. There must be a rabbi that doesn't, didn't like the taste. Right. <laughs> or the cheese was made by Germans. And so he, he said, no, I'm not eating that. That was made by Germans. Right. Okay. Okay. Number five, then. Uh, the dispersed Israelites who had been wandering through the European wilderness since 745 BC easily converted to Christianity after Yahshua delivered the new covenant. The Jews rejected Jesus and the new covenant and still do so today. Okay, so here's another example of where, you know, when you first write a document. Uh, and then you go over it again and say, oh man, you know, I, I overstated the case here. So the word easily, it, it has to be taken relatively because uh, many of uh, your ancestors up in the, the north woods of Europe, the Vikings, the, the Danites, uh, Issachar, Asher, etc. Well, uh, some of those didn't convert to Christianity until around 1000 AD. Okay, so uh, it had to come to them. And in the case of many of the Vikings, it had to be uh, delivered to them by force when they tried to take over England. King Alfred the Great uh, made war against them because they were invading England. And his peace terms were, because he was about ready to slaughter them all, and said, okay, if you want to live, you're going to have to convert to Christianity. And the Vikings said, okay, <laughs> we'll do that. So, uh, when was that? That was probably 500 AD, you know, but uh, the, the Christianity did not come into the Northland until, you know, fully integrated until around 1000 AD. So, it was a long process. The word easily is uh, incorrect there. Back to you. Yeah, I'm sorry for my my ancestors' stubbornness in this. And... <laughs> right. Apology accepted. <laughs> yeah, and uh, right. And I, and that form that did came to to Sweden. What I what I know was unfortunately kept ca the Catholic Church. Oh yeah. Uh, that took its root there, but it was thrown out with uh, Gustav Vasa. He threw them out because that he believed no, there's no stinking pope that makes decision over us. So he threw them out. That's right. Uh, with the help of a mercenary from a German city-state, uh, the name escaped me, uh, Liebeck, from okay. Liebeck. Oh, Liebeck, okay. He used yeah. to throw them out, and then he got rid of them. And, Good. Well, okay. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. The Jewish, okay, should we continue? So, so we're not prejudiced. We don't like Catholics either, because Catholicism is, uh, talk, uh, there's so much false dogma in Catholicism, that uh, I mean, we could go on for for years. There's so much false, to, uh, you know, teaching in Catholicism, but that's another subject. Back to you. Yeah, it is. It is, and I, um, for lucky, I've not been there. I don't, so I don't have no insight into the more the practical ways. I guess you are more first-hand experience of it, yep. also. Yeah, 17 years brought up in the Roman Catholic school and uh, going to church, etc., etc. It took me quite a while to realize how much of their dogma is false. Right. Right. 
a real eye-opener for me. Yeah, back to you. Okay. Uh, the Jewish dispersion did not occur until 70 AD when the Roman general Titus made war against the Jews and drove them out of Judea. Since the Jewish religion did not begin until the advent of the Pharisees in 150 BC, all claims by the Jews as to being the children of Israel are false. Yes, it's false. It is lies. Mm -hmm. um, the Bible was not written by them, for them or to them, since they are not Israelites, Shemites or Judahites. Also, Jesus tell, tells us in John 10, 27, quote, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they know me, end quote. The Jews have been entirely deaf for the last 2,000 years. Now, that is absolutely correct. <laughs> entirely deaf. Yeah. Right? They never yeah. have heard his voice and never intend to. No, they, mm -hmm. they would kill him again if they could. That's right. And they show no signs of hearing his voice anymore today. No. Um, and they won't see it, and they, they're very blind, and they, yeah. yeah. Nothing more to add to that. That tells it all. Yep, yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, the Judeo-Christians don't understand that, They don't because they know nothing about Judaism. They simply believe the lies they're told, that the Jews are Israel, and, uh, well, uh, they don't dwell on the fact that the Jews have never accepted Jesus as Messiah. They don't dwell on that. But they dwell, what they dwell on is the promise that the Jews will convert to Christianity just before the Judgment Day. You know, hopium, all right? Uh, talk about hopium, folks. There, there's a, a real practical instance of it. Back to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, to give them some kind of, I don't know what to give. Yeah, give them hopium that, oh, we are not <laughs> in the full church. We will not be bombed out by Jesus Christ. Yeah. And they have never read that statement either, so they won't know what happened. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Uh, it is important to understand these distinctions uh, because it is impossible to understand prophecy if you not know which group of people is being referred to. It is critically important to understand that the Talmudic nation of Jewry has made a living by impersonating true Israel. Yeah. That is so true. Mm -hmm. I mean, if they wouldn't have that going, how would the, the nation state of Israel do then? Right. It would be. It wouldn't have any kind of support. It would have not no support from the outside world. Yeah. Yeah, they would go under. Right. Yeah. They'd they'd, uh, they'd hardly uh, be in business if they hadn't uh, engaged in this impersonation. Back to you. Mm-hmm. Once the world understands that the Jews are liars, thieves, and hypocrites, then their global empire will collapse. It will be a very sudden and catastrophic affair. Oh man, <laughs> yes it will. And those, of, uh, and those of our people who support them will find their world is going to collapse right along with it. Back to you. 
Yeah, they are entangled with these tears. Oh, so tangle. Also... That's a good word. Entanglement. <laughs> right. Okay. So now we have some biblical symbols. And because the book of Revelation is, yeah, as I said, filled with symbolic image, images. And that is crucial to understand those, those symbols. And they're not literal, they are symbols of Israel. That's why the Judeo-Christian can't understand it, why they say that you cannot see that, you cannot say that, and blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, because and they, they make another mistake. Sometimes they take the symbols literally, and then sometimes they, they make uh, and do the reverse. Okay? And they will take literal statements and turn it into a symbol for their dogma. Right, so uh, you know, no, the, the Bible can't uh, be taken literally when it says only Israelites are covenant people, right? They can't be taken literally, right? So they they will pick and, again, picking and choosing what uh, they want to be literal, what they want to be figurative. But there is a how should I put it? There is a method by which we can determine what's figurative, what isn't, okay? And that's because these images are all over the Bible, not just in the book of Revelation, but they're all over the Bible, and they're brought forward into the book of Revelation, okay? So therefore, again, you have to know both Testaments in order to understand the New Testament. Back to you. Yeah, that's we need to read both of the. We cannot just say that they doesn't read the Old Testament. That is, it is part of the new. You can't understand the new if you don't understand the old. Yes, very good. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Let's continue then. Sometimes these symbols are familiar to us. Most of the time, they are not. By comparing the chronological flow of history with these symbols in the order that they are presented in the apocalypse, apocalypse. right? Apocalypse, apocalypse. got it. Yep. Um, we find a very remarkable correspondence. It is more than remarkable. It is quite frankly astonishing. All of the events and images will be compared in detail, starting with the seven churches and concluding with the day of judgment yeah and that day are coming closer and closer oh, by day yeah yeah right get your barf bags ready folks <laughs> because yeshua is gonna vomit out the judeo-christians okay mm -hmm. that's what's gonna yes. happen all right back to you yeah some of the symbols that we meet in the prophetic in this prophetic book are explained by the angels that are that are providing John with his visions. Those symbols that are not explained within the text of the book of Revelation can be found in other parts of the Bible, both Old and New Testament. Here is a partial list of these symbols and their usual meanings. Uh, uh, just a quick interjection here. Uh, part of the reason why I wrote this article was be, uh, because of a statement by the Roman Catholic Church of England in which they stated categorically that the Book of Re Revelation cannot be understood 
by anybody because of all of the symbolic language. And of course, that's an absolutely false statement and proves again that the Roman Catholic Church is apostate. Back to you. Yeah, they are. And this is also, I guess, their agenda to cover up the true identity of the Israelites. That is also, I guess, one of the main, main agendas they have. That's right. So then they will pick and choose to just try to dance around this true fact. The covenant message and who the covenant people are, right? That is, again, those are the two most critical issues. What is the covenant message and who are the covenant people? If you don't know that, you cannot understand the Bible and you cannot understand the book of Revelation. Yes. Um, Okay, here we have some of those words then. We have C, and that is equal to peoples and nations. River, movement of peoples and nations, migration, mountain, government, major kingdom, sun, that's equal to Yahweh, Yahshua, king, most high God. Moon, Ecclesiastical authority reflects the sun. Yeah, the moon only reflects the sun. So, Uh Um, crown, dominion, stars, that is the tribes. Yeah, 12 stars. Yeah, and also angels. I I neglected to put that in there. Back to you. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Horns, lesser kingdoms, earth, Israelite nation. Nation surrounded by seas, larger nations, earthquake, social upheaval, seals, mysteries, trumpets, wars, song equals teaching gospel, day equals exactly one year. Prophetically, exactly one year, yes. Yeah, month, that is exactly. 30 years. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and you can, you get this from Old Testament and New Testament so that uh, there is a chronology that it's predicted in, in the book of Revelation. Back to you. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, okay. So, should we continue then? Yeah. Okay. Um, this is then the chronological of the Apocrypha. Apocalypse. Yes. Um, for the most part, the chron- chron- chronological of the apoc- apoc- apocalypse. Ah, sorry. Apocalypse. Yeah. There you go. Apocalypse. <laughs> I'm that's sorry. A Catholic, that's a Catholic word. <laughs> All right. Sorry about okay, that. Okay, that's my reasons why I can't yeah, pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's making you gag. <laughs> yeah. Right. I do. Okay. Okay. Starts with the early days of the Roman Empire and ends with the Judgment Day and the Wedding Feast of the Lamb. And this also, this Wedding Feast of the Lamb, that it will happen when Yeshua comes back to earth. This right. will happen here on Earth. That is my understanding. Oh, is absolutely. That, yeah. No, no doubt about that. And, of course, the wedding feast, it clearly says in uh, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, 
that the uh, the bride is the 144,000 of the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so it never deviates from the covenant message that Israel is the prominent nation, a group of people, ethnic group, throughout all of the scriptures, throughout all of the covenant teachings of the Bible, including the last chapters of Revelation. Back to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, more this, that the new and that both the old and new are, they are all connected. That is yes. the covenant message. That is the, the importance. Amen. Okay. Uh, in addition to this chronological forecast, there are several major themes that were, uh, weave their way through the narrative from chapter to chapter. These major themes are not part of the general chronological order of the main prophetic narrative. One of these themes is that of the beast with seven heads and ten horns. This theme starts with the early Egyptian empire and ends with the current events of our time, the last days, thus encompassing a period of 5,000 years. Another is the seven churches, or seven church ages, which encompass a period of 2,000 years. These epochal um, th uh, themes will be addressed and summarized uh, separately from the chronological narrative and also as they occur in the okay. text. So this is one of the reasons why so many people have had trouble interpreting the book of Revelation because it's telling several different stories at the same time. You know, like, like a movie that has, uh, it follows, let's say, uh, it follows uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which uh, a movie about uh, various different uh, groups of uh, airplane, uh, it's like an airplane race. And so it will switch from one group flying one plane to another group flying another plane, tell their individual stories piecemeal, and then come back to that group later on. You know, and then some of them drop out as their planes crash or run out of gas, right? Whatever. And but so these there are several stories being told at once, and those stories have to be taken individually as part of the narrative, but it's weaving, they're being weaved in and out of the 22 chapters of Revelation uh, in several chapters, okay? And so when we come back to this theme of the beast with seven heads and ten horns, it's critical you understand who those seven heads and ten horns are, all right? And of course, uh, the, the vast majority of Judeo-Christian theologians have never figured this out. Why? Because, well, they think that the Bible is about the Jews. Okay? Therefore, they'll never figure it out. Back to you. Yeah, 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 exactly. They, they, look for the, they look at the wrong people. And that also can make the book of Revelation to be a bit... Yeah, just understand it. Because of just sub-stories sub you try to follow. I mean, that could be enough complicated when you watch a mo movie. When you know this is this right. different sub-stories. But here you have... And then I can just just imagine when John the Revelator saw all those all those stuff and tried to write it down. Right. I mean, yeah. you see all this 
modern technology that we see now with how they want um, this vaccine to change your DNA forever. How was that presented to him? What was he seeing? Yep. And how can he describe it? Yeah, well, that's in Revelation 18, chapter 23. Uh, I don't know if we'll have time to talk about that, but it's uh, talking about the uh, sorceries of Big Pharma uh, under the dominion of Mystery Babylon. That's what we've got here, folks. Uh, That's predicted in the book of Revelation. The Gates vaccine is predicted in the book of Revelation. It most surely is. And maybe we can address that next week because we only have about 20 minutes left. Uh, but we'll uh, we can certainly incorporate that sub theme, uh, but it's part of the uh, the eight beasts because the last beast is the uh, new new world order. Let's put it that way. The last beast is the new world order, and they're trying to inject us with their with their uh, DNA altering quote unquote vaccine. That's what they're trying to do. It's predicted in the book of Revelation, folks. Back to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This. Uh, just what he. I'm just so curious to know what did he see? How just to describe it? How? And yeah. I can just guess that is. <laughs> yeah. When he saw this, it was just amazing how yeah. he then could be so accurate in his description of it. R- right. Well, his descriptions are accurate to an extent because they're they're kind of vague. You know, he talks about. Uh, the, these uh, hairy monsters riding camels and stuff, right? And sometimes it uh, it sounds like he's describing cobra helicopters, and sometimes he's describing cannon that haven't been invented yet. Okay, so uh, th- these things you have to. That's why you have to have a thorough knowledge of the historical narrative. You know, starting uh, actually going all the way back to Egypt where the first beast was, Egypt was the first empire of the beast with seven heads and ten horns. And so unless you have this historical perspective and are able, and we have the benefit of hindsight, because the vast majority of these prophecies have already been fulfilled, and so we can see them right before our very eyes, how the prophecies have worked themselves out. There's only a few prophecies left, namely the wedding feast of the Lamb, the burning of the gathering of the tares and the burning of the tares, right? And we know who they are. And then once those are gathered and burned, then the wheat will be gathered into his barn, i.e. into his kingdom. Okay? So, uh, I mean, this symbology, uh, it's... Once you're familiar with it, it becomes obvious what the symbology is, right? But the churches lack this perspective because they, they, they simply do not understand who the Israel people are, and therefore they will get all of this wrong. They will get it all wrong. Okay, back to you. Yeah, and this, all this that you're mentioning, this for me makes the Bible so intriguing when you when you put in the historical facts and that you can put everything into a context and see that the, the, the his, that accurate history is so in line with the, with the scriptures, with the Bible. It's so fascinating to read it and to see how it all is true. Everything is, that's for me, that's made it so intriguing for me when I saw it, when, when I, I, as I said before, I was listening to you and that made me so fired up, so intriguing how it's written, how beautiful it's written. Yes. It's 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 a beautiful thing to be able to uh, unravel Revelation, <laughs> right? Yeah, it is. 
Okay, uh, let's then continue then. Um, within the narrative, uh, oh yeah, something more I think that haven't either been fulfilled is this flood that is caused after the women have not been, yeah, the earth have not opened itself up yet. Okay, uh, where, uh, what are you talking about? Not sure. I what... think in, in, in Revelation, is it in 13 or 12 when, it, when, that, okay. when the devil cast out um, a flood after the women? Oh, to take no, yeah, that's, yeah, that's Revelation chapter 12. And that's being fulfilled in our days as well. Although uh, you could probably say that that's been an ongoing theme because uh, the Roman Catholic Church had its a time when it was indeed the Antichrist on the earth. And uh, they were massacring true Israelites and burning them at the stake and things like that, right? However, in Revelation chapter 12, it talks about the dragon opening its mouth and sending a flood to destroy true Israel, okay? And there's no doubt that that's being full today. The flood of immigrants uh, that the Jews have flooded our nations with in order to destroy us okay there's no there's no other way to understand this because there's no way the jews certainly the uh, that bandit state called israel is being flooded with immigrants okay the, the jews are actually supporting this flood of immigrants against true israel so you can't understand, again, you cannot understand the book of Revelation unless you understand who Israel is. Back to you. Mm, yeah, yeah, because only our nations are in trouble. That's right. This is a time of Jacob's trouble. Okay? Yeah. That's where yes. we're at. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, within the narrative are contained several flashbacks and flash-forwards. Yeah, it is. And yeah. it is important to understand that these are in interspersed um, here and there, where they seemingly do not belong, as yeah. they are interjected without any connection to the particular text in which they occur. Yeah, and this yeah, is, that, make, yeah it makes it very difficult, because uh, so there's a lot of statements, like many of our flash-forwards to the Judgment Day and seemingly unrelated to the chapter that they're in. So, yeah, the devil is in the details. Thank you, Brother Eber. <laughs> Back to you. Right. Yeah, yes. And that also can make... So is the truth. <laughs> yeah, and why, and why you either can't read the Bible in a chronological... And what to say, the book of Revelation, a chronological order, to say that has not happened, that's why not. this has not right. happened, you know, this... You can't because of um, how the book of Revelation is arranged. Yes, there is a chronological order, but it's buried within the flash forwards and the flashbacks, and so you have to recognize, you have to understand that it's a very um, complicated uh, script for for uh, for a movie. It's a very complicated script because it has all these sub themes that are interspersed from the beginning to the end. Okay, and uh, one of the main sub-themes is the seven churches, you know, which we'll get to eventually. It doesn't look like we'll get to those, those churches today, but uh, it's a very important to understand. That's how the book of Revelation has to be read and understood. Okay, back to you. Yeah, giving a few different starting points. The main body of the narrative deals with the steady progressions of historical events. 
although the language is highly figurative and uh, suggestive and almost never literal. The fact that this language depicts historical events in both obvious and undeniable. Okay, so uh, let me just uh, interject. Uh, the, the, the churches, the seven churches are literal historical churches. Okay, Smyrna, uh, you know, Laodicea, uh, uh, what was it? Philadelphia. There are literal churches. There are literal um, you know, groups of Israelites uh, that actually belong to historical churches. Okay. However, uh, when you go into each church, you find out that there's prophecies concerning these churches. So it is historical. In that sense, it's literal. But it's also prophetic, in that sense, it's figurative, and you just have to deal with the imagery and figure it out. <laughs> okay, back to you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, this is proven by the fact that very often the book of Revelation give, gives us the exact number of years, expressed in, quote, days, end quote, that a particular dynasty or process will last. For example... Uh, the quote locust described in chapter 9 very actually depict the Saracen horsemen and place their appearance in the proper historical setting and in the exact consecutive order that they can be found in the hist history books. So riding on their horses they looked like locusts, right? Uh, but if you want to project that e even further into the future, it, it could be a helicopter. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, those uh, war helicopter warships. I, for, uh, I forget what their name is. And uh, they can, from far away, they can look like locusts, right? So uh, there, there's, all, there's all kinds of uh, interpretations. Uh, it, we're not limited to one interpretation here. Okay, back to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, another example is the description of portable cannon with, quote, fire and brimstone, end quote, in their heads and tails. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, if you don't have seen a cannon or a gun before, I guess that what looks like when you see it, like uh, John the Revelator did see. Right. Yeah, so the, the, the wick is on the tail, <laughs> right? You light the wick, and boom, the business end explodes with a cannonball, right? And so that's what he's describing here. Okay? Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Um, and their use in the overthrow of Constantinople in the year 1453, John give gives us a perfect description of the shape in which these cannon were cast. Here again, this prophecy is listed in the exact chronological position that would be expected from historical records. Okay, yeah, so these uh, cannon that, that, uh, that he describes that are actually cast in the shape of a lion, I believe, with the... Uh, uh, mouth of the lion being the business end, and of course the tail of the lion being the wick, right? So, uh, and uh, so uh, it, it it corresponds very closely to the historical development of such canon. All right. Uh, so uh, there is a chronological aspect 
that is is fairly well preserved in you know in history and in the book of revelation it's very interesting back to you yeah yes i fully agree okay um, once the chronological accuracy of the uh, apocalypse uh, is appreciated one can only wonder at the awesome power which has foreseen how all of these things must come to pass. When you combine the accuracy of the descriptions with the exact order of historical events, a mathematician would have to be consulted to determine the odds against such parallelism being coincidental. Yeah, coincidental, so that, that these historical events uh, are predicted to happen in a particular order, and uh, that you know what are the odds of all of these particular events occurring in that order as foreseen by John? It's 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 got to you know, who knows you know ten to the ten to the billionth power <laughs> that all of these prophecies could occur in that order, even though we don't may not have the exact dates right, but they follow in a sequence, and that sequence is presented as a historical order. It's, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing that the yeah. book of Revelation has all this information in it in such order. Back to you. Yeah, because Yahweh is the master math mathematician. Amen. And he proves that. <laughs> um, the probability of this must exceed billions to one. It has to be on the order of quadrillions to one. The fact that the book of Revelation also confirms the prophetic records of many other books of the Bible uh, forces us to the only one conclusion. Only the creator of the universe, Yahweh himself, have, could have dictated this book. Yes. Okay. All right. So I see we have about seven minutes left. And so it... Uh... Yeah, it's important to uh, at least go into the eight beasts, name them, and maybe next week we can actually go into the seven churches. But this sub-theme of the eight beasts is very, very important. So I think we have enough time to talk about this in the next couple of paragraphs. Okay, so this is the eighth beast of the apocalypse. Uh, of the several themes that run through more than one chapter of the book of Revelation, the story of the eight beasts is the most critical. I can say that once I understood who all eight beasts were, then the rest of the apocalypse was much easier to um, decipher. This is because all of the major empire of the book of Re Revelation are involved in the eight beast story. I have dealt with this subject elsewhere, so I would refer uh, the reader to my article entitled, quote, The Apocalypse and the Eight Beast, end quote, which is located under the uh, prophecy heading at, at our website. That, I guess that will also be the case when, yeah. when the site is up and running again. Right, yeah. It is uh, up and running, but it's very incomplete. So uh, I'll make a point of getting that article up next. Back to you. That's good. It is well needed in this world today. Yeah, understanding prophecy. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. 
Um, it is the story of approximately 5,000 years of history, beginning with the Egyptian, Egyptian Empire, the first beast, and ending with the House of Rothschild's United Nation New World Order, globalist empire, the eighth beast. Yes. To summarize this subplot of the Book of Revelation, it is the story of eight great historical empires, such of which were overthrown by a succeeding empire, beast, in chronological order. These empires are Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, maybe I should say the numbers, yeah, first Egypt, second Assyria, third Babylon, fourth Medo-Persian, five Greece, six that is Rome, both imperial and papal Rome. Number seven, Napoleon. Eight, the house of Rothschild. And that beast will be subdued by our Messiah, Yeshua, oh, when he man, comes back. man, I can't wait. <laughs> I'm tired of waiting, Yahweh. Do it. Do it now. <laughs> Get this over with. Back to you. Yeah, yeah, we all look forward yeah. to that day hmm. when this this evil system of the House of Rothschild will collapse upon them and to see those oh. empire merchants stands and just wave Let it see burn. Their <laughs> Let the tears burn. All right. Yeah. Okay. We have about four minutes left. I think we can uh, get this one paragraph in here. Okay. Okay. The Lost Beast is distinguished from the previous seven in that it is an international banking syndicate. It was prophesied to be an, quote, empire of merchants, end quote, whereas the previous seven were led by military and religious dictators. Since its operations are semi-secret and since the average citizens is completely unaware of how it operates, it is referred to as, quote, Mystery Babylon, end quote. And in Swedish, it's more more called ba Babylon, the, the Store of Babylon, something like that. The Big Babylon. It's not really said, Mister Babylon in Swedish. Okay, interesting. So, yeah, it's not. What's really the said What's that. the word for mystery in in uh, Swedish? Mysterium. Mysterium. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, uh, mysterium. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Jean tell, uh, tells us that this lost beast, along with the false prophets, will be cast into the fire at the judgment day. In this era of corp corporation globalization, few knowledgeable observers will deny that the world is being ruled by an empire of merchants. Most people will think of the big oil companies and um, conglomerates. Conglomerates, yes. Conglomerates. Okay. But the real controllers are the international banks. It is international banking that rules the roost. Or as the saying goes, quote, money makes the world go round, end quote. Some still believe that governments rule, but they are under a serious delusion, which does not take into account the power of these corporations and the true reasons for global strife, such as intrigues over oil, fiat money, insider trading, and secret agreements between governments 
and businesses that accommodate corporate greed. Okay, so that's that's Mystery Babylon. It's the international corporate structure, the, including the United Nations and the European Union, created by the House of Rothschild with all of their controlling oil interests, such as British Petroleum, Shell Oil, you name it. They're all one giant corporation owned and operated by interlocking corporate directorships, and the Rothschilds sit on the boards of these directors uh, on virtually every single case, or their agents, okay? And that includes Deutsche Bank, it includes uh, the Federal Reserve Bank, Bank of England, etc., World Bank, etc. These banking corporations are the power in the world today, and most people simply don't know that. <laughs> they simply don't know that, okay? So, but this is why we're going through this. It's very important to know that. Okay, Michael, great job. We'll pick this up next week, uh, part two of the seven churches, and uh, that's coming right up uh, in a couple of paragraphs. We'll get to that next week. Thank you, Michael. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. Thank you all for listening, and uh, you know, stay tuned for Voice of Christian Israel coming up later today. Thank you. And, and praise Yahweh. Yahweh bless you all. Yahweh bless, absolutely. Take care.